adult and older youth. Um, had to make sure to say older youth to not offend our older youth, to get them mixed up with younger youth, our older youths. Um, we, uh, we're doing something special this summer. We're looking through the Pilgrim's Progress. And you're probably wondering if Dennis has notes. Dennis does not have notes this morning. Um, actually, yeah, yeah, sorry, Ronnie, sorry. Um, what I did have for you that I really neglected to print out was something was like space available to take notes. But this is what I want you to do. Where it says sermon notes on your bulletin, I just want you to forget about Pastor Joel's sermon and make all these notes about my... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> kidding. Kidding. Um, this week is going to be interesting, and before we kick off, um, I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. Let's go before the Lord this morning. Father, we thank you for the ability to be here. Lord, we thank you for the breath that's in our lungs. Lord, we know that even um, us waking up and getting out of bed this morning is evidence of your mercy and your grace in our life. Lord, we thank you especially for the rain. Praise be to God for the rain that you brought last night. Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the many families that are represented. And even all the families that you're bringing to us each and every week is evidence of your grace and your mercy. And just how much your people want your word. They want to hear your word. They, they, they want meats and potatoes. And they're, they're longing for the pure spiritual milk of the word. And that's why you're sending these people to grace. Lord, help us to continue to do that. Um, Lord, I pray for, um, for, uh, for this session. Lord, I pray that it's edifying. And uh, Lord, may, be, may we be more um, encouraged afterwards, as well as seeing, um, as we see the evidences of, of maybe judgments and mercy in Bunyan's life. Lord, may we see evidences of such in our own, which would lead to more um, honor and praise and glory given to you. Lord, help me this morning. Um, and uh, uh, Lord, we ask all these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Okay. So if you are a note taker, this is what we're going to be looking at. There's, there's three different sections. We're going to be looking at John Bunyan, who is the author of Pilgrim's Progress. We're going to be looking at his life pre and post conversion, right? So this week, we're not going to be diving into the story, but it's going to be more about who the author is pre and post conversion. What was he known for? and just some other details to remember. Um, if you remember, last week, Andrew, um, in his sermon, he made a reference to Pilgrim's Progress to kind of whet your appetite a little bit, right? In his sermon about the city of God, and he alluded to the river of death. This was a scene that's in Pilgrim's Progress, and as the narrative begins to come to a close, we will read of Christian, Christian is the main character, who's being told by his newly converted companion, hopeful, as they cross the river of death. So this is going to be a part of the narrative. I'm going to read for you that it's at one of the very last chapters. As hopeful struggled to keep his brother's head above water, as Christian seemed half dead, Hopeful would comfort him, saying, Brother, I see the gate and men standing nearby to welcome us. But Christian would answer, 
and I'm going to give you the dot, 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 because I'm going to give you that at the conclusion, okay? So what we see here, Christian is and hopeful are going through the river of death. And as we're going to learn about in the third section of this morning, this is an allegorical story. We're going to talk more about what that means. But it, it is a, it's an instructional narrative, but there's, it's also allegorical, and there's wonderful things to glean from this story. But this river of death means something. Andrew kind of alluded to it. The celestial city means something. Andrew alluded to it, being with the city of God. But here we have the main character, Christian, struggling with, does God even want me, as he is approaching death. And he's been on this spiritual journey, highs and lows, right? Mountaintops and valleys, evidences of God's grace in his life, the king's grace. But yet he is still struggling here at the very end. As he is nearing death, does the king even want me? Um, am I even going to be welcomed into the kingdom? So here you get a, a glimpse of Christian, the main character. And you even get a glimpse, in my opinion, of John Bunyan, um, because I think Christian, his character and his life, so many similarities, and that's by design. Um, but it, it's it's hopefully, Lord willing, it should um, it should encourage you um, if 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 you've struggled at all with uh, a lack of assurance of your salvation. Right, this book should be super encouraging to you. All right, so. Pilgrim's Progress, again, it's about a journey. By the way, can I just ask by hands, who has not read the book? Not read the book, Pilgrim's Progress? Y'all are going to be in for a treat, right? Um, in true Dennis fashion, right, scatterbrained um, many, many times. Gathering my things this morning, and I forgot my Pilgrim's Progress book. I know, so what happens when the teacher isn't prepared, Sandy? The, the, the teacher does something else. So, if, if you have no idea which edition to buy of Pilgrim's Progress, please come to me. There is one that our youth went through in a study. Um, Joshua, help me out, brother. Was it a couple of years ago, whenever our youth went through a Pilgrim's Progress study, three years ago? Yeah, something like that. Joshua's still awake. I'm sorry, still asleep. I'm um, just kidding, brother. So, the the, our youth went through a study of Pilgrim's Progress a few years ago, and there was, there, was a, there was an edition that they used, and the last time I checked, it was like $14 on Amazon. We are encouraging you guys to read Pilgrim's Progress. We're going to be doing it as a family on Sunday nights, right? Um, as we go through this, because that's a you know, good family worship time where we're all usually in the house together at the same time. It's kind of hard whenever your kids get older, right? So um, we encourage you. We're not going to make you, can't make you. Um, encourage you to read this at the same time that we are going through it. So who is John Bunyan? Well, John Bunyan was a Puritan. Not only that, he was probably one of the most popular Puritans. He was also a pastor. And he authored, believe it or not, 58 books. There's Pilgrim's Progress is by far his most popular and I still believe it holds the record right underneath the Bible of most copies sold. 
So the Bible, the most popular book that's ever been written and sold, Pilgrim's Progress is right beneath that. So what's interesting is he had no formal theological training. He knew of no Greek, knew of no Hebrew. Yet the Lord used him to do spiritual good, many wonderful things, not only back then in the 17th century, but also to this day. One of his books that he wrote is called Grace Abounding in the Chief of Sinners. And this story is about himself. It's his autobiography. And many of the things that we're going to talk about pre and post conversion is going to be from his autobiography. So, in 1672, about 50 miles northwest of London, John Bunyan was released from 12 years of prison. And at this time, he was 44 years old, so he did a 12-year stint in prison. And he, at this time, he wrote Grace Abounding in the Chief of Sinners. And the reason that he was in prison, and I think I touch on this a little bit more, is because John Bunyan was a nonconformist. Who knows of the, the major religious entity or force in London during the 17th century? Church of England, okay? So, John Bunyan was a nonconformist. What does that mean? He didn't want to conform to Church of England. Yeah. So not only was John a nonconformist, but he was an open-air preacher, and we probably know what those guys are. We've seen it. Um, Angela's uh, sons, Nick and Cody, they, on occasion participate in open-air preaching. Ray Comfort, open-air preacher. Um, but he was arrested for being a nonconformist, open-air preacher because he was preaching the gospel. This is why he was imprisoned for 12 years. And it was interesting during the time of these 12 years, this is when he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. But not only that, many of his other books he wrote while being in prison. So he was born in 1628. He was the son of Thomas and Margaret. Um, he was a tinker, tinkerman. And I'm like, what is, what is it? My, my daddy used to tinker. And uh, I kind of looked it up what that used to mean. And it's like a, a handyman. That's what you did for a living. You're a, a jack of all trades. You, if, you, if there was something that needed to be tinkered on, then you would call John Bunyan's daddy or John Bunyan, okay? So he was a, the son of a tinkerman. John Bunyan was a tinkerman before he came a pastor. But even though he was a pastor, and even though he authored 58 books, this is who he describes himself as pre-conversion. I was without God in the world. Indeed, according to the course of the world, in the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. What does that sound like? Anybody? Ephesians 2. Good job, Brandon. He says, It was my delight to be taken captive by the devil at his will, being filled with all unrighteousness. So Brandon alluded to Ephesians 2. That second part that he testifies of himself was, 2 Timothy 2.26. So although he was unregenerate and rebellious, 
He still says that he was greatly afflicted with trouble, thoughts of hell. Okay? So he was unregenerate, he was rebellious, he was in sin, but he was still tormented at the thought of hell. And I think if you ask more people, a lot of people on the street, if, if no, the general consensus would be nobody wants to go to hell because who wants, to, who wants that? No, no one, right? Um, and, and, and whenever you share the gospel with somebody or whenever you ask if someone, if, if they know the Lord, right, um, they would probably say that they are and like their chief purpose is not for God's glory and not because of what God has done in their life, but it's because I don't want to go to hell, right? Again, that is a wonderful reason, but that should not be the only reason. But in John Bunyan's life, he was greatly afflicted with torments of hell. And <clears throat> who would probably say this? Can anyone say if someone... Think about John Bunyan and his life, where he ended up, where he started at, much like us. Can anyone say that this torments of being in hell, these thoughts that, 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 he, that, that just circulated his mind, can anyone say early on if this affliction could be the beginning of God drawing him? Okay, so John six forty four, Jesus says, no man can come to the Father unless um, he who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So can anyone say with somewhat of certainty if torments in hell could be the beginning of God drawing John Bunyan through the power of the Holy Spirit? Anybody? You think so, Ronnie? Okay. God can use anything, can he not? He does use everything and anything to draw his people in. Not only that, he felt like his young life was mixed with judgments and mercy. So, what judgments mixed with mercy means is this. He recalls falling off of a boat in the Bedford River, barely surviving, so he almost drowned. As a soldier, this is very interesting, as a soldier... He went out to battle to stand guard, to stand post, only to be replaced last minute. And the person, the soldier that replaced him last minute was shot in the head. Okay? So as you can see, if the Lord had not caused another soldier to take his place, that could have been John Bunyan. So he says, my life was mixed with much judgment, you know, torments of hell and mercy. Okay? And I'm pretty sure that we could ask if you could look back on your life, maybe some of the foolish things that you did whenever you were younger, some of the close calls that you had, that except for the Lord's mercy upon you then, you would not be here now. We could say yes and amen to that of our salvation. We know, we believe at Grace Covenant Church that, that God gets the glory for it all. He draws his elect in. He gives us gifts of faith and repentance and also his spirit as work inside of us to sanctify us. One day he calls us home whenever we will be glorified. It is all of God and he gets the glory. 
So John, moving on to his married life now, he's still, this is still pre-conversion. Bunyan married a woman who was lost, but who had a father who was a godly man. And this godly man of a father, which would be, I guess, a father-in-law to John, gave the daughter two books. In these books, we, we can't just d- diminish the, how God uses good books. But one of those books were The Plain Man's Pathway to Heaven and The Practice of Piety. So, the father-in-law gives the daughter these two books to give to John. And these two books is something that the Lord purposed and also used in John's life because after he read them, he stopped his swearing. Apparently, he was a big swearer. And he took up regular church attendance, going to church on the Lord's Day twice a day. Yet, he said that even though these books caused within him to stir up a life that was more godly, he stopped his swearing, he started going to church twice on Sundays, that he still retained a wicked life. So you can see evidences of how God was working in his life, but yet John still says, that he had a wicked life. One notable time when he felt like the Lord was working in his life is whenever he sat under the sermon, this time of a priest. This was before he started going to um, another church. He was still within the church of that day, the Church of England. And he, was, he felt convicted because this priest gave a sermon over breaking the Sabbath. And we probably can all attest to either sitting under Pastor Joel's or Pastor Andrew's or, um, you know, Sandy and and, and Sean have their old pastor from Washington here, right? A time whenever we sat under the sermon, the preaching of God's word, and just our affections were just stirred up like none other. Like it was just amazing, amazing sermon we felt like. And maybe it was something that we resonated with, right? Well, it's very interesting to me I've never been resonate. It's never been resonated in like affections like super stirred up for, for the Lord because of a sermon over breaking the Sabbath. But it did in John's life, right? So he said he felt um, in this sermon that the Lord was working in his life and he was showing him the evil that he was doing by breaking the Sabbath. So at this point, again, his affections for the Lord were better, but he still retained a wicked life going to church on Sundays. He was still, uh, he he was not swearing as much. He was married at this time. He began to have kids. One of them was born blind. Um, As a tinkerman, as a handyman, he went around to various parts um, of his area and worked on different things. And a lot of the times, uh, his work drew him to the rougher parts of town. And as he was going to the, 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 the rougher part of this one town, um, many, town, many times it's across the tracks, right, Lori? Right. Across the tracks to the rougher part of town. He was working on something, overhearing these, he says, poor women talking about something. And it, it, it kind of piqued his interest because it was religious talk. And he says this, I have never heard of things like the new birth, but they were talking about things of the new birth. 
They were talking about the wretchedness of oneself. They talked about how God had visited their souls with his love, with words and promises in God's word, which refreshed, comforted, and supported them against the temptations of the devil. He had never heard anything like this before, right? If you could think of what these ladies were emphasizing was a religion, a relationship that was much more intimate and personal, right? And it drew his attention. He says that he couldn't stay away from those women. He found a reason to go back to do work around the areas where he could overhear them talking. And he said he used these poor people to get a greater understanding of the Lord because it made his relationship or the beginnings of his relationship more stronger and more affectionate for the Lord because, again, he had never heard of this before. It was at this time that he said that he had new eyes for Scripture. So one of the great joys and mysteries of being a Christian is whenever, by the Spirit's help, we begin to look, read, or hear Scripture, and maybe once was folly, or maybe once uh, what didn't make sense, now makes sense. There is a shift. And even though that it's a mystery, we know that it happens if you have your Bibles. And if you don't, there's a pew Bible, right? Let's go to 2 Corinthians 4. We're going to read a piece of Scripture, one of the places that talks about how John Bunyan was given new eyes to see around this time. So let me have, if I could, someone read 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6. Thank you, Richie. Thank you, sir. So what God had purposed in the life of John Bunyan, and this is for you too, that if you have spiritual eyes to see, it's because of God giving you that access. He has illumined your minds and your hearts to not only read and hear, but also understand, because he has shown in your hearts, giving you the light of knowledge and the glory of God through Jesus Christ. So this is the doctrine of illumination that John Bunyan is alluding to in his autobiography. This is what Jay Packer says about that, just maybe to help make more sense of this doctrine. The work of the Spirit in imparting knowledge is called illumination or enlightening. It's not a giving of new revelation, but it's a work within us that enables us to grasp and to love the revelation that is there before us in the biblical text as heard and read. Sin clouds our minds and our wills that we miss and we resist the force of Scripture. 
God seems remote. And in the face of God's truth, we are dull and apathetic. However, the Spirit opens and unveils our minds and attunes our hearts so that we understand. God applies revealed truth to our hearts. So, illumination, which is a lifelong ministry of the Holy Spirit, not just something that happens at regeneration, at new birth, okay, but it's lifelong, starts before Bunyan's conversion and yours with a growing grasp of truth about Jesus in a growing sense, being measured and exposed by it. So this is what Bunyan was experiencing whenever he said new eyes. And this is at the point in his autobiography whenever he says he especially loved the epistles of Paul. He says, it was so sweet to me. But even though scriptures seemed so sweet to him at this time, he felt like he could not only read but understand scripture. He says that he was still wrestling with this question. How could I tell that I had genuine faith? Okay, so again, we see that what seems to be like the evidences of the Lord working in his life, right? There is a... um, a desire for holiness. We have God giving him eyes to see. He's understanding, you know, overhearing what the ladies were talking about in the rougher part of town. He, was, he had a growing love for the Apostle Paul, but yet he said, how could I tell if I had faith or not? So admitting that he was not altogether faithless, but not feeling yet that he was secure. He sang the 51st Psalm, and he prayed often. And then he was also tormented by two thoughts. It was no longer hell. Remember, pre-conversion, he was tormented by thoughts of hell. Now he was tormented by the thought of this. Lost my place. What if I was never elected by God unto salvation? And what if I'm beyond the grace of God? He said he reflected on Romans 9.16 quite often, which spurred on these torments. And I'll read that for you. You can turn there, but I can read it for you. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. What if God hasn't had mercy on me? What if I'm not part of the elect? What if I am beyond the grace of God? So, he says, What if I could not tell what to do? For, for I evidently saw, unless this great God of infinite grace and bounty had voluntarily chosen me to be a vessel of mercy that I should desire and long and labor until my heart did break, no good could come of it. As he struggled with that for a little while, often, again, singing the 51st Psalm, which is a Psalm of David, a Psalm of repentance and confession, going to the Lord in prayer quite often, he says that there was a deciding, I'm sorry, a decisive moment whenever he says, one day I was passing into a field, this sentence fell upon my soul. I saw moreover that it was not my good frame of heart that made me righteous, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. 
for my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then he quotes Hebrews 13, 8, which we'll be getting to probably in a, a couple of months. Now did my chains fall off my legs? Indeed, I was loosed from my afflictions and irons. My temptations also fled away. So from that time, those dreadful scriptures of God about unforgivable sin left me no trouble. I went also home rejoicing in the grace and the love of God. So after much despair of in having a, a lack of assurance, he said there was one decisive moment when the Lord shed in his heart the love of God, that my righteousness that I knew that I lacked did not come from myself, but it was Jesus Christ. I remember watching a video of R.C. Sproul's uh, years ago where, you know, he, d he does these, these teachings on Ligonier. And, um, there was this one video uh, talking about uh, having an assurance of, of faith, assurance of salvation. He goes, there's four different kinds of people. He goes, you do know the Lord and you have insurance. That's one person. You do know the Lord and you don't have assurance. You don't know the Lord and you have false assurance that you do. And the last person is this. You don't know the Lord and you're indifferent altogether. So, I will say that if you are struggling this morning with having a lack of assurance of faith, of salvation, you're in good company, you're not alone. Believe it or not, there's others within your midst right now who often struggle with the very same thing, including me years ago. And not only if you are there right now, not only are you there, but Martin Luther was there at one time. John Bunyan was there at one time. And again, appealing to this video with RC, he usually poses three questions. And I'm going to give those to you this morning. Do you love Christ perfectly? Right? So thinking about if you have a lack of assurance of salvation, you answering these questions in your head, do you love Christ perfectly? Well, most would say no. Do you love Jesus as much as you ought to? I think that's dependent upon, you know, uh, a naive Christian perhaps. Um, and, and one who is honest and transparent with themselves. But usually it's this second question here. It's usually where the doubts come from. Do I love Jesus as I ought to? Third question that R.C. poses. Do you have any affection for Jesus at all? And this is generally where the person, person who has a lack of assurance of salvation comes and says, yes, I do. I do love the Lord, but I don't love him perfectly. And again, you're in good company if that's you this morning. The only way for a person to have any kind of love, any kind of love for the biblical Jesus, not a Jesus that someone conjures up in their head, is because of the work that the Lord is doing in your life and the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in your hearts. So, John Bunyan now has assurance. And he starts to attend a church sitting under this one pastor, John Gifford. Moving on a little bit, just for the sake of time this morning. 
1655, whenever the, the matter of his salvation and, and of his soul was settled, he was asked to give the church that he was attending an exhortation. And this is whenever this great preacher was discovered. He would not be a licensed preacher until 17 years later. So any young men in the room who felt like the Lord is possibly calling you into ministry as far as John Bunyan's life and not your own, it took 17 years from whenever he first exhorted the church to the time that he was an actual pastor of a church. His popularity as a lay preacher grew and it exploded. Uh, one commentator says that, who I guess had like um, statements from people of that time, gives this quote, Mr. Bunyan preached no New Testament like he had made me admire and weep for joy and give him many affections. He says a day's notice would get a crowd of 1,200 to hear him preach at 7 in the morning on a weekday. So his popularity grew as a preacher. He not only used to preach in a church setting, but again, I said a little bit, a little bit ago that he was an open-air preacher. So this is what caused him to go into prison because he told the authorities, I'm going to preach the gospel tomorrow. If you don't put me in jail today, I'm going to preach the gospel tomorrow. So they took it upon themselves to imprison John for his open-air preaching and preaching the gospel. And it was there whenever the Pilgrim's Progress, among many other works, were written. And in the future, while he was away from his family in 1688, he caught a cold. And this is how he passed away. So, what is John Bunyan known for? I'm going to give us three different things this morning. This is what he's known for. Then I'm going to move on to the literary style and some different themes that we're going to see in Pilgrim's Progress in this study. The first thing that Bunyan was and what he's known for is that he was a sufferer. Again, I said a little bit ago, one of his children was born blind. His first wife passed away after a little while of being married. He battled spiritual depression. He spent 12 years of his life being imprisoned. George Whitfield, one of the famous pastors of the Great Awakening, said this about him. The Pilgrim's Progress smells of prison. It was written whenever the author was confined in the Bedford Jail. Ministers never write or preach so well as when they are under the cross, George says. Whenever the Spirit of Christ and glory rest upon them. Bunyan says this in his autobiography about being a sufferer. These things I continually see and feel. I am afflicted and oppressed, yet the wisdom of God does order them for my good. They make me abhor myself. They keep me from trusting my own heart. They convince me of the insufficiency of my own righteousness. They show me the necessity of flying to Jesus. I love that word image there, flying to Jesus. They show me the need that I have to watch and to be sober. My sufferings provoke me to pray unto God through Christ to help me, to carry me through this world. He was known as also as a sufferer because while he was in prison, he wrote a book called Advice to Sufferers. Taking the first Peter 4.19 passage, which says, It is not what the enemies will, nor what they 
are resolved upon, but what God wills and what God appoints for that shall be done. In this book, Advice to Sufferers, Bunyan begs his people to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God and to trust that all will be good for their life. Not only was he known as a sufferer, but he was known as someone who loved and knew God's word. This is what Spurgeon had to say about Bunyan. This man is a living Bible. This is a very popular quote. You probably know this. Prick him anywhere and you will find that his blood is bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his soul is full of the word of God. So, as you read through the Pilgrim's Progress, you're going to notice these three, I guess, distinctions of why he knew and loved God's Word. You're going to see that throughout the Pilgrim's Progress. Okay? The first is this. He just quotes Scripture. Throughout Pilgrim's Progress, you're going to notice that sounds really familiar. And if the version you have is really good, that's probably going to give you a little reference at the bottom of what Scripture passage that is. But he quotes scripture throughout the Pilgrim's Progress. The second way is not him directly quoting scripture by giving chapter and verse, but he seems to write it without its words and phrases flowing from his pen. So it's not scripture, but it sounds awfully like it. Well, it's because John Bunyan bleeds bibline, as it were. Thirdly, as you're reading through it, you're going to notice the doctrinal insights of Bunyan. The various characters that he comes up with are engaged in conversations that recollect Christian truth or experience. Sometimes Christian engages in conversation with enemies. There's several debates. There's accusations that he answers or rebuttals that he's given. So many would say that Bunyan was a warm-hearted, Calvinistic pastor. And we know that by his own writings, but also in Pilgrim's Progress, where you will see a sovereign and merciful God who saves sinners by grace through faith in Christ. Justification by faith in Christ, the Redeemer, is at the heart of this narrative. You will be able to see it. Lastly, he was known for being a loving pastor. Three years into his imprisonment, he wrote a book called Christian Behavior. And he wrote this to provoke his congregation to holiness. He says, here is a word to provoke you to faith and holiness. I desire that you may have the life that is laid up for all of them who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that you love one another whenever I am deceased. Now, this may seem a little dark to you to mention that he is writing to his congregation while using the words deceased. But being a martyr is something that's really not often now in the West, like it is over there across the pond. But it was definitely prevalent during John Bunyan's time. He wrote about his martyrdom often. Why? Because this was something of the day. He was already in prison. So many of his flock as well were arrested and were with him in prison and he ministered to them there as well he loved his people he loved pastoral work and the parish where he was at had around 120 members 
last section. You're doing wonderful. So, the Pilgrim's Progress has been quoted as, uh, quoted as the most famous allegorical narrative. This means that the central action as well as places and characters refers to spiritual realities. Essentially, this is from Banner of Truth, essentially, an allegory is an extended metaphor, a vivid comparison, when the characters, events, locations represent or symbolize other things. So, for example, Christian lives in the city of destruction, and next week's going to be talking all about how Christian flees this city. Well, this city of destruction, what does it represent? This present world. The celestial city that Andrew alluded to last week in his sermon, what does that represent? Well, it represents God's eternal heavenly kingdom that are enjoyed by saints after they pass away. So it's allegorical. It makes it fun, to be honest with you. And easy to understand, in my opinion, as someone who still struggles with this day with reading comprehension. Uh, that seems to never go away. So there are many themes that you're going to see ending here, many themes. You are going to understand after reading this book, Bunyan's message and theme about this world, how it's not our home. We're just passing through. We are on our way to heaven. We are temporary travelers. And this is also a biblical idea. There's a passage in 1 Peter 1 where I think in the ESV it says elect exiles. Well, the New, Kames, the New King James Version says pilgrims. So this word in the Greek means strangers or pilgrims. Again, we're just passing through, living in one country alongside others on our way to a different country, a different home. Again, if you're one of God's children, you are a pilgrim in this world. This is not your ultimate home. Another theme is the difficulty of the Christian life and trials. You will see that throughout Christian's life. You will see a theme of sovereignty, not only conversion, but God's sovereignty and sanctification. And finally, ending. The scene that I started with whenever Christian is crossing over the river of death. Again, even in Christian's death, he was struggling no, brother, he talked to a, talking to Hopeful, another companion. He's not waiting for me. The king is waiting for you. Those men that we see over there, it's the king. They're not waiting for me. He is waiting for you. You have been hopeful this whole time. I have not. So, again, ending with this scene. Hopeful says this to Christian, my brother. Be courageous, Jesus Christ makes you whole then christian with a better moment of clarity after his brother admonished him a little bit says this oh i see him who the king oh i see him and he tells me when you pass through the waters i will be with you and through the rivers they will not overflow you so again, as Christian is crossing through death, passing through death from one life to another, swirling thoughts that the king isn't going to welcome him, flood his mind. 
what does he go back to? The promises of God. It's a wonderful story, guys. You are going to love it. And that concludes the introduction for this week of the Pilgrim's Progress. And let me close us in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for old saints like John Bunyan. Lord, that we can glean from, that we can be edified from. Lord, I thank you for the work of illumination brought by your Spirit's power in our life to make um, the Scriptures alive and giving us spiritual eyes to see. Lord, thank you for the assurance that we get through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone who is struggling with a lack of assurance of salvation this morning, that they would, as Bunyan said, that they would fly to you, that they would run to you in prayer, Lord, that they would ask you to increase that, Lord, that they would see themselves not as the object, but they would see Christ as the object of faith who died once for all sins and who has seated at the right hand of God. Lord, I ask that you'll work mightily in our hearts this morning as we approach corporate worship. Lord, may our affections for you be stirred up even more so. We thank you so much for Christ, and it's his name that we pray. Amen.